So, Patty, today uh, talking to James Huber about yeah. dual pricing, cash discounting, surcharging. Um, I don't know about you, but I thought it was so kind of uh, liberating to yes. not have to say, I'm not an attorney, this is not legal advice, and instead to actually have an attorney that provided legal I, advice. That's what I was going to say. You know, after weeks of, of James and I saying, we're not attorneys, we're not offering legal advice, we right. actually brought an attorney to you who's not necessarily offering you advice, but certainly providing a basis of understanding. Yeah, exactly. Some legal insights for yes, sure, right? Yes. Uh, so we have James Huber talking about a lot of different things, but you know, visa compliance and visa rules and, and a lot of different things that are just not not dry in any way, honestly. I thought no. it was actually very engaging. Very um, engaging. Uh, then questions from the field. Uh, today, I talk about selling through the summer and kind of the, you know, what do you do? Do you take the summer off? Do you take a few vacations? Do you focus? And so I talk about kind of my my version, which is, of yeah. course, going to be different than yours. Yours is different than mine. But I talk about my version of how I grow my business through the summer while also spending a lot of quality time with my family. Um, yeah, and then, Patty, yeah. I was I, I thought yours is very intriguing. So tell us. Yeah, about the, uh, use, use of biometric payments. You know, we've heard a lot over the years, you know, about biometric payments. And you see it sort of in the wholesale applications. But, you know, there's there's some um some rumbling, some pilots going on that yeah. suggest that we could be seeing this um, at some point in the future. Awesome. Well, this podcast is brought to you by Valor Paytech, ccsalespro.com slash V-A-L-O-R, processor agnostic terminal, gateway, omni-channel solution. Check it out. And Patty, if you're ready, I am. Let's dive in. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey everybody, Patty and I are here today with my friend James Huber, who is an attorney at Global Legal Law Firm. How are you doing today, James? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I told Patty last week, I said, I'm really tired of saying I'm not an attorney. This is not legal advice. I feel like I've said that about <laughs> I know, a thousand so we're gonna times. We're going to get one on here. <laughs> I said, so today we have an attorney and he's going to provide legal advice. So it's nice to be able to say it the other way around there. So uh, James, I know you've been on here several times. So rather than diving into backstory and all that, um, we want to talk about visa rules, uh, you know, our industry, and especially this issue of the the non-compliant surcharging and all of that. Just give us a little flavor. I'm kind of curious from your perspective, how big of a deal is this? I mean, are you having a lot of clients talking about it and kind of this ongoing push that Visa has had against, you know, non-cash adjustment programs and all that? So just give us a little bit of your insight of just kind of big picture, how big of a deal is this and, and kind of what's been your experience so far with this issue? Yeah, I mean... I saw your articles and that, you know, when you say something's a big deal, I tend to believe you. Um, but as far as what's happened since, I haven't heard a lot of chatter. You yeah, know, when you point. and I discuss, I'm, I'm going, you know, when something like this, usually our clients are reaching out and contacting us, but I think a lot of them didn't really have a strong reaction to it. Um, I personally like it when visa speaks up you know when we have greater structure it's nice to know where the line is i mean i've been advising people yeah. on cash discounting for over 10 years and they're what do i do exactly how do i do it and for the longest time we've been going here's the line it's about this big you can get close to it you can even get into it just try not to go all the way over it so you know i personally like having a set level of rules and we know where the line is right. Mm -hmm. With this, though, it looks like they want to kill what's out there and working. And we've seen really help businesses, particularly over the last two years. So mm -hmm. while I'm all for regulation, not at the expense, particularly of small businesses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. And I think uh, to kind of concur with what you're hearing, <clears throat> it was like when the when the uh, visa memo first came out, you know, I was getting all these calls and all these, hey, what's happening, all this. And and I, I think too, it's interesting to note that the memo specifically was asking for contact information. It was asking for data on people right. that are doing this. And then Visa was saying they were gonna kind of deploy their, apparently their army of mystery shoppers to like look and see what's happening. So I was kind of thinking it'd be 60 to 90 days before we started, you know, actually seeing a kind of an increase in, um, notices and things of that nature, but it will be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. So, all right. So, but here's what I want to do. So I, I have a uh, kind of a line of logic and I'm actually really excited to have this conversation with you. I know we talked the other day, but I really am excited because I have a line of logic and I'm excited to have an attorney's perspective on this. Okay. So I want to start with the ISO here and the relationship that ISOs have with the car brands. 
obviously this is a contractual relationship. And I think a lot of times in our industry, people forget this, um, but there is a contract that exists that was signed. So talk about that a little bit. What is kind of the scope of, you know, I mean, every ISO is signing an agreement that in some way references visa rules. And what is their responsibility and requirement to follow visa rules? Uh, you know, talk a little about, about that relationship. Yeah, I appreciate that, you know, particularly bringing it to people's attention. You know, as far as people who have read the visa rules, it's certainly not everybody in the industry. It's not an easy read. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I've read them many, many, many times. And, you know, we have a you know office full of attorneys here and they'll come up and they'll be saying, you know, this is in the rules. And I'm going, well, you're talking about what applies in Australia. So, you know, it's not an easy document, but yeah, everybody's on the hook for these rules. Everybody, I mean, you know, there's a different set of rules, but everybody with a card in their wallet is on the hook for a bunch of these rules. But as it relates to the ISO, you're responsible for these. You know, even I'm a retail ISO, I don't have any risk or anything like that. Read your contract a little closer. If you're violating those rules and something goes on, you're going to get popped potentially. And it's rare unless you're out there doing things egregiously, you know, or you have a partner that, you know, doesn't value their agents as much as some other people, but other entities, but no, you're on the hook for the rules. You're on the hook for how you're selling and in cash discounting. Yeah. You're on the hook for making sure that merchant has the proper signs, the proper disclosures, their machines working purpose uh, properly. And a lot of cases, you know, we'll see ISO agreements where they're saying you need to make sure the merchant is trained on card acceptance And, you know, we'll edit that in ISO agreements, but I look at that as every time they hire a new person, Mm -hmm. you ISO better go down there and make sure that person knows how to properly accept a card because that's what your agreement says. And you brush over that. Yeah, I'll make sure the merchant's reasonably changed, but, you know, the processors or the bigger ISOs, sometimes they're looking for ways to pop their agents. And if they get a fine from Visa, they don't want to pay that fine. They're going to come to you. So if one of these mm-hmm. secret shoppers goes and hits your merchant and they get a fine, guess who's going to get a, get a, get a, you know, offset or a yep. ACH deduction. Yep. Yep. And, and potentially I would imagine even lose the client, right? Potentially lose the client. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, I don't see the fines. I'd, I'd be interesting what you guys think. I don't know if the merchants will get the fines necessarily. I think it'll they, be they certainly down. they certainly could, right? It's like Visa has yeah. the authority to do it. Do they want the PR? You know, do they want right. the negative PR of going after the small business owners? I know of only a very very small handful. I've I know two or three cases where you know, and and in those cases, it was the merchant got notified that they had thirty days, and they got notified they had sixty, then they got notified they had ninety, and they just refused to do something that was egregiously non-compliant and they got a fine. Um, I actually know more of them with the state side, you know, state AG's office, that kind of stuff. But yeah. Right. Right. Um, but I'm not familiar. I don't know about you. Yeah. But yeah I'm not familiar with too many. Yeah. No, I mean, big merchants or merchants that are, like you said, doing something really, really wrong, but you're right. You know, they, they'll get a couple warnings and then, you know, ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. And then there comes a fine. But I see it here particularly where if you've complied with the memo and you've given them the roadmap of what leads down to this. And also as a secret shopper, you know, Visa certainly is going to know who, where all that, trans, the, you know, the transaction fed through. So right, right. I see it being top down, but you know, if they put a fine on Pfizer, they're, they're not going to write that check. They're going to go to, you know, feed yep. it right down the stream until it gets to the agent. Yeah, yeah. Let's can we dive just a little bit more in terms of the contractual relationship between the merchant and the card brands. Now, I you know, we I know we talk a lot about the Supreme Court ruling several years ago about free speech rights and you know the, the right to display your prices the way you want to, but how does that fit in? You know, how does the 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 merchant um process of communicating prices fit in with their contractual obligation to Visa MasterCard? 
Yeah, the merchant, the merchant agreement has, you know, you're on the hook for the visa rules. It's in the terms and conditions that you never get that hopefully are on a website, right. but that's, that's all compliant. You know, anytime we agree to something, you click to agree, you're in no matter what's in that agreement, unless there's cases, you know, I won't get too sidetracked here. We have a merchant who was at their bank. They get the agreement. It references the program guide. There's no link to it. You can't, it doesn't even exist online actually here. And there we're saying, no, he didn't get the program guide, but they're saying, well, should have gone and found it. Or found it where? Yeah. And it right. references two versions of the program guide. But anyways, right. I, I, I divest uh, here. Well, it's not a digression either, um, James, because I was, you know, watching the hearing, I guess it was last week or the week before now, two weeks ago, and Durbin's, you know, the Durbin hearing. And that was something that he brought up and a lot of the merchants brought up is the idea that there are these obligations <laughs> that the merchants have, but they have no way of really accessing what their obligations are. I mean, that's yeah. kind of a tough nut, right? Uh, absolutely. And think about when, you know, I'm, I'm on the hook for the card brands at any date and time. They're not all available online. The most right. recent one's available online. But if you're banging around, you, you don't know which ones you're looking at. There's the visa acceptance rules. There's the visa issuing rules. There's the acquire. Right. You know, you don't know what you're on the hook there for. And, and particularly here, James and I got into this the other day of small businesses, the merchants that will actually be hurt by this, that are benefiting the most, I don't think you want to mess with those guys right now. Mm. Those are the lifeblood. The, yeah. That's, you know, bipartisan. It should be a bipartisan issue with these small businesses. Right. I wouldn't start messing with these, these businesses right now because, look, in a lot of ways, you know, they're the consumer. It's just a person. Right. They didn't go to business school. You know, right. they own a franchise or something or they, they're running a small business they're not that sophisticated. And the law says, if you're a business, you're imputed a higher level of sophistication. You're, you don't have all the consumer protection laws that's changed in a lot of states where I'm at, you know, where I'm in California. But yeah, I'm glad to hear that these conversations are happening because don't mess with these guys right now. You know, right. there's legislation trying to be pushed to saying, hey, no more arbitration agreements mm -hmm. because it's too expensive to arbitrate. And, you know, the whole path of, you know, of the benefits of arbitration has gone violently off course because if I have an arbitration clause, I can't afford it. So yeah, I think that putting this, putting this on these businesses and, and finding them saying, Hey, you agreed to the card brand rules. You should have known. Yeah. If I'm the merchant, I'm a hundred percent going to look at the agent and go, what? You told me I would save money and I could keep my business open because of these margins. And now I'm getting fined. I'm done. Because a fine like this, if you put a, you know, 25, $55,000 fine on, you know, certain restaurants, they're done. Yeah. 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 So I, I think too, so two things I want to clarify from this part. So, so no, the number one point here and kind of in this line of logic is I think all three of us agree uh, that Visa, unless extenuating circumstances, Visa really doesn't have a big interest in going after individual merchants, small merchants, and fining them. I mean, that would, I think, would be a course of last resort, or at least historically, I don't know, James, you may have additional thoughts, but it, it seems to me that that's been the trend, that that's kind of their path of, of you know, that's, that's their last resort. They don't want to do that. Is that, would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Yeah. So then I think the, that they're afraid of the, of, of the blowback. The backlash. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so that's, you know, that's, that's one piece of it. Um, so then as we talk about free speech, you know, I think the other kind of, of questionable thing here is, you know, Francis de Durban amendment, I'm sure very familiar with this document, James is, you know, where, where, what are your thoughts on this, where it talks about, you know, specifically says the card brands cannot inhibit a person through contract or whatever, you know, from doing one of these cash discount in-kind incentive type programs now, again, there's been a lot of debate about does the non-cash adjustment program fall within that because it's you're adding something, you're not truly discounting. So any kind of you know further thoughts along those lines of this free speech? Because it's like, 
you know, technically the merchant is not allowed to do this based on the document that they signed in the visa rules. They're not allowed to add a fee to debit. I mean, that, I think that's pretty clear. They aren't even really allowed to add it to credit if they haven't uh, registered with the card brands that they're surcharging. Um, but what are your thoughts on that as far as the the free speech versus the the contract? Does that merchant have any kind of legal ground to stand on there to say, well, we're doing this because we believe what, you know, we believe that this is a violation of our constitutional free speech rights or like, what are your thoughts on that topic? Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, when they, when they took this, this, uh, this issue and made it a free speech, right. I think a lot of people were, wow, yes. Not fully understanding the implications of, I have the, you know, of, you know, your constitutional rights and your business, you know, what you're obliged, what you agree to in a contract. Right. So I 100% agree with the free speech rights versus what you can agree to in a contract. You can't make a contract against the law. I can't, you know, hire somebody to kill both of you. Maybe one of you, just kidding. Um, so <laughs> right. we see, you know, the card brands until very recently have operated a lot like the DMV. This is a mm -hmm. privilege, not a right. Yeah. And we've talked about this with match listing and how putting somebody on the match list is, in my opinion, a violation of their due process rights. You put me on this list, Without any hearing, you took away my right to operate my conference. business. Yeah, exactly. And so, in that, you know, we've seen a, a switch in how judges are looking at this because of, you know, I think because of COVID came along and they're suddenly going, huh, this big wad of cash is useless from my living room. So, um, I see that here shaping the landscape. The card brands are very large organization. And this argument of, you know, the corporations are so big, they're having too big of an effect, had, had a really prominent proponent a few years ago when Trump got banned from Twitter. This argument had a very prominent proponent. You know, Donald Trump said, hey, Twitter, you can't ban me because you have too big of an influence. I have free speech rights. These big corporations shouldn't have this much of a say. Only I should know. So <laughs> Visa and the card brands, they're in, they're in a similar spot here. They are very big. They affect almost everybody's life on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. And they've made using them expensive mm -hmm. you know cut a lot of you know this is doesn't really apply now but a lot of merchants held out until about you know 10 10 15 well I don't know, like 20 years 20 ago 20 years ago yeah yeah okay yep i've dated myself now so <laughs> merchants were, you can't date merchants yourself were can you date <laughs> <laughs> so merchants were holding out saying this is too expensive right and cat, you know, when cash discounting came along first, everyone's going, no, the, the, my customers aren't going to want to pay that. And so it gained all the steam. We've all kind of accepted. We all understand that it costs money and they charge these fees and you go to a business, you usually appreciate the business. So you pay the fees, but they've made it so expensive. And then they're just saying, this is the way it is but they've created the situation themselves and they're not allowing a way to work around it. So when you've got the small businesses literally keeping the rails on track here and we're seeing things quickly deteriorating, we better put them in check here. You know, I'm glad that they're, they're checking it out and doing some recon but I think they better watch their step here. You know, when they talked about raising interchange a couple of years ago, you know, I think Dur Durbin furrowed his brow and they said, never mind. I think they're going to get the same backlash here if they push this. Because when they start penalizing the, 
the processors and it's pushed down and it even gets near the merchant and you tell a merchant they can't do this. If you tell some merchants they can't do this right now, yeah. they're done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That margin. I mean, what's most restaurants margin? It's like three or four percent. So there you go. So, James, you know, I I spoke. I mean, I spoke. I I attended the hearing, the Durban hearing a couple of weeks ago. There was a lot of talk about, you know, small businesses being the engine of our recovery, that the card brands and the issuers are really socking it to these small merchants. Um, You know, I, I have my own thoughts about this, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are about in terms of the role of regulators and legislator. In ter- you know, are they going to be the ones refereeing this debate? Are they going to be legislating and regulating rates? What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it will. Um, you know, a lot of regulation in this industry comes through enforcement. Right. But here, here I think it's going to come from the legislature because we're really talking about consumer protection issues Mm -hmm, talking mm -hmm. about small businesses being affected here. Right. Um, And humongous corporations too. So um, you got the big businesses versus the small businesses. That was something that came out in the hearing. You know, this is not a business versus consumer issue. No, no, it's not. It's everybody's affected And what we're seeing, you know, at least what I'm seeing, and in my experience, I don't care. I don't care about paying that fee. That doesn't affect me. It affects the business. Now, when we first saw cash discounting come up, I remember saying this to clients, be careful, little coffee shop, because when so-and-so guy comes in and he's paying $3.50 for his $3 coffee, he's going to put up a bad Yelp review and you're done. That's not... I'm not seeing that. I don't hear about that anymore. So we're not protecting the consumers here. No one's worried about the consumers. Spending's still up. Right, right. You know, and consumers want to help businesses. They especially want to help small businesses. They want to help small businesses. They love their, you know, it's these, and it's the small dollar transactions. They love their little businesses. Um, you know, where I see people getting angry is they're at the hotel, but you're on vacation and you're mad at everything already. So, you <laughs> right, know. Right, exactly. So, so okay. yeah, so I'm sorry to jump in. I, you know, so what I want to do here is I, I want to, we have a few minutes left. I really want to transition because this, I think is so important, this conversation and hopefully our listeners maybe even play this one back over a couple of times because we, we really do need to understand everything we just talked about. That's, that's the context. Now I want to talk about uh, the practicality here. So now we have this program that, you know, Visa has pretty clearly said they are against and that they are now looking to take some type of action to limit or eliminate. Um, and so what I've been thinking a lot about, James, even since our last call, is just kind of the scope of compliance. And, and what strikes me as interesting is, um, I'll give you an example. One one specific ISO, smallish ISO, maybe a couple hundred deals a month um, that's already gotten some, si- some really serious fines from their acquirer over their, their program. They've been able to fight them off. but um, in their situation, a lot of it stemmed from their marketing and their advertising and that they are saying, you know, we eliminate your processing fees. We have the non-cash adjustment. We apply it to credit and debit. Mm. And what's what's interesting to me is that I think the ISOs, and, and I mean, I'm as much to blame for this as anybody, that we've kind of embraced this idea that we're responsible for everything the merchant says and does as it relates to accepting payments. And I kind of wonder if that was a mistake, right? Like, wait a right. second, hold on a minute. Like, how how are we responsible for this again? So what's interesting to me is now we have all these processor agnostic technology solutions, you know, and they have a feature. You can add a fee, like the merchant can do it, you know? So the ISO is coming in and saying, okay, we'll, we'll enable this feature for you, right? And then uh, a Visa mystery shopper comes in and says, well, this is not compliant. And all of a sudden this complaint goes to the acquirer and as you mentioned kind of flows down the hill to the iso wait a minute who why why is this our problem you know the the merchants not listing it on the shelf or you know we did a dual pricing at the at the terminal that's totally compliant with visa rules but then the merchant chose to only list the cash price on the shelf for the menu so what i'm curious is your opinion on that and kind of i've been kind of moving in that direction of telling my clients like you know 
maybe we don't want to be responsible for like everything that happens within the context of the merchant's building or website. Like maybe we're only responsible for what happens when you accept a payment because that's what we do. So I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that kind of approach and general idea? Well, yeah, I mean, I agree. And so who's going to hold you responsible for the merchant activity? It's probably not going to be the merchant. It's probably going to be your processor or your bank. So that's where we sometimes, you know, people are looking at me going, it's not a big deal for your agreement. It's a humongous deal. Or I'll get an agreement and I might say, hey, don't work with this person if they're not going to move here. Look, I hate killing deals, but I'm this comes up. If you've got yeah. a merchant who's not going to follow your rules, I agree. Why should I be on the hook for this? I, I made an introduction to these two. I'm responsible for what this person does. You know, it gets down to the rules of agency and who's on the hook for what. I can only control what I can control. And yeah, I shouldn't be on the hook if you're going rogue. You know, hey, I sold you this machine. I didn't even sell you this machine. I signed it up. It got shipped from over here. If that machine blows up in somebody's face, am I going to get, am I on the hook for that? No, probably not. I hope not. (laughs) Why should I be on the hook if you're not following these rules between me and the merchant? Now, there are all sorts of things, you know, we try and do, let's say you have a merchant selling CBD. I'll make a nice little writer that says, hey, you go outside of these lines. You agree I have nothing to do with this. You hold me harmless and everything like that. So I'll usually recommend something like that. A lot of the processors say, hey, no side agreements between you and the merchant. Uh, Okay, fine. But this has nothing to do with the fees. I'm not charging you an extra rate or getting any kind of weird kickback or anything. No, I've got a thing that says, hey, I'm not responsible if you go and run this debit card, you know, discounting program way outside the line. So yeah, I like a little rider like that. Nobody likes having more paperwork, but, you know, just like the small businesses running a thin margin, we're all running our margins too. And having a lawsuit or a big fine against a merchant is not something I should have to deal with. And look, you might have to deal with it, but it's also nice to go, hey, I'm on your team. You've indemnified me. You can't come after me. I will help you though. Instead of them going, who can I knock down and blame this on? Look, you're not going to be able to blame it on me. I'm your advocate. I've always been your advocate. It takes the conflict out of the, out of it actually. Yeah. I love the, uh, go ahead, Patty. I just have a question for both of you guys. Maybe one or both of you can answer me on this. Why is Visa always the head? Why do these things always come out? You know, these sort of compliance things always come out of Visa and not out of MasterCard. Go ahead. You got an answer? Yeah, well, I mean, I actually, you know, MasterCard runs the match list and, you know, I'm batting, I'm battling with them. Yeah, Um, but, but they don't come out with memos that say you can't be doing this. They don't come out with memos, but they are the ones pushing fines a lot. As far as the memos, I think Visa is the big way. Visa is the biggest player. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones connected, you know, getting looked at the most. You know, yeah. MasterCard's still the underdog. You know, you got a MasterCard, you're kind of like, you know, the up and comer, you know, scrappy <laughs> one. You but got a Visa. Most people have both, let's be realistic. And, and, and they throw an Amex and a Discover in there just for, you know, ahas. No, I'm just, I, I was just curious about that. That's all. No, I agree. When I t- when I'm training attorneys or you know, and I'm in litigation, I don't pull out the Mastercard rules. I pull out the Visa rules. Right. You know, these are the rules. The FTC they talk about the Visa rules. Right. And I just think it's I think it's because they're they're bigger. They're the leader. They're bigger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they want the leadership position, and they got it. And yeah. now they yeah. all got all the negatives yeah. to go with it. <laughs> right. So. Okay, last question real quick. Yeah, but they're also the one rowing the boat. They're controlling the narrative. Yeah. 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 So they have the they have good and bad with that holding that position. So so James, my last question for you, and it's so interesting because 
you know, you skipped over one I was going to talk about specifically was the writer, but I want to talk about that for just a second and, and dig in and make sure our, our audience kind of understands what we're talking about. So let me describe a scenario. And this is what the large acquirers are doing that I have seen that are, that are doing these, these types of programs where they are in one way or another pa- passing the cost of processing on to the consumer. You know, we have, first of all, we have equipment that's doing something that Visa would consider compliant, uh, which, you know, my personal recommendation as someone who's not an attorney is, uh, has been dual pricing. And I'm coming out with a whole kind of document about that. But this idea where you have a cash price and a card price, you're not adding a line item to the receipt on debit um, or credit for that matter. Um, and so you have this device and this device is doing something that I believe the card brands currently consider compliant. Um, so then in addition to that, you talk about this writer, which is the idea of having this extra, maybe single, maybe two page document that's in addition to the normal merchant agreement that basically says to the merchant, look, we are providing you with, with technology that we consider compliant with visa rules. And we're on the hook for that. However, you know, there are a myriad of different state laws and federal laws uh, that guard, you know, that guide things like disclosure and pricing disclosure and signage and all of that. And so we've given you some signage with recommended language but ultimately you are responsible for making sure that you are in compliance with all these other rules as it comes to pricing. We're responsible for making sure the technology we provide is in compliance with visa rules. Having the merchant sign that now pushes all of that kind of scope of compliance to the merchant in these situations. And as we talked about earlier, visa doesn't seem to really have an appetite for going directly after the merchant. Um, So what are your thoughts on that approach in general, or maybe any, I know you've seen that approach many times. Is there anything in addition you think that we should be doing as an industry or kind of thoughts you have about that approach? Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that approach. I mean, you know, I could fill up, you know, every transaction and interaction with everybody and disclaim everything, or I could just never sell anything to anybody anytime and we'd have no liability whatsoever, but there are little things you can put in place to, protect yourself. And yeah, I think having a little rider to the merchant, but use it, use it as a sales tool, use it as an education guide for your merchant, put some information that's actually valuable on there. You know, the ones that I've seen be the most effective, I mean, look, one for cash discounting would be great, but it's been kind of straightforward until recently. But if you're doing the side-by-side, yes, give them a little guide that says, hey, this is how the program works. You agree that you're working it this way. You also agree that there's a whole bunch of stuff out outside of us going on. You know, I'll use CBD as an example. That's regulated down to the municipality. Mm-hmm. So I can give you the federal laws. I can try and give you the state laws. I can at one single point in time, give you all the county laws. I cannot even try to get every single municipality's law on how CBD should be sold. So, you know, you can give a disclaimer that says, hey, here's everything we know at this point in time. We're going to have a resource guide updated, you know, with all of the information. But you've got to keep your head on a swivel, too. You know, you're in this state. Here's what's going on. So go ahead, Patty. No, I just think it's interesting because I think you got to, it's a real delicate, it would seem to me there has to be a delicate balancing act. Okay. You're going in, you're saying to the merchant, okay, I can save you a whole lot of money. Um, but by, you know, and, and they sign up and then you say, and by the way, you got to follow all these rules. You know, I think that there, there are some merchants that could be turned off by that. Well, I'll tell you, you know, what's interesting, James, you know, uh, I sold a merchant a, a few days ago on dual pricing as I was kind of out, you know, playing around with it and stuff. And uh, when I pulled out that, the, the, the processor I sold it for had one of these writers, you know, and when I pulled it out, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, if a, if a uh, customer came up to the counter and there was an item that was $100 and you saw that they pulled up in a real nice car, so you decided to charge them $200 and keep the extra 100 bucks for yourself. Now that's illegal. Do you agree? And they're like, yes. Okay. Is it, is it my fault that you did that? No. Right. Because I'm not responsible for everything that you do with this device I'm giving you. You know, there are laws that are outside the scope of payment processing, like don't steal, you know. So in that same way, that's what this writer is. This is explaining that there are things outside of payment processing that you can do with payment processing that are illegal or that are not compliant. And there are state laws and municipal laws and federal laws and all these things. We're going to do our best. But at the end of the day, just like, you know, any other crime or illegal activity, you're ultimately responsible for making sure that within your business, you're following the relevant laws. 
And it's a relevant law. He was like, but sure, what but about he signed the visa it. Rules? <laughs> but, but what about the visa rules, James? I mean, following the relevant laws, true. But what about following sure. the relevant visa rules? That's where I get a little sure. bit. Squishy, sure. Squishy well, well, again, it's, you know, to me, it's all part of that. And I don't know, James, you may have a different opinion, but to me, it's like, you know, what you do on your shelf or your menu. I mean, if you look at visa rules, do I need to be the expert about how visa thinks about every single type of business and every possible scenario in terms of pricing disclosure? I mean, that's not realistic, you know, especially for most salespeople, that's not even possible at all. Like it's, so at some point we have to draw the line and say, we can make sure we're providing you with a compliant solution. As far as how you implement it, I mean, you know, you know, that's your business, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's coming into a landscape where, you know, I'm plunking you down in the middle of, you know, some kind like I'm putting you in, most people know how football works, but you know, you plunk me down in a football field and you go, all right, go for it. Well, wait, you can't have that many people on your team. Wait, you have to wait for the whistle. Wait, what? No, I didn't know the rules. Right. So you can't right. put somebody in the landscape and just go, you need to know everything. Sure. And yeah, Jane is not your responsibility to teach them all about it, but you can't make it overly complicated right. to be in this, you know, right. Right. landscape. That's it's my like point, yeah. handing somebody an AK-47, which unfortunately, in my opinion, happens way too often. Way so, too often. Yeah. you know, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I think, yeah, I think what I hear you saying is a very dangerous tool. Yeah. I think what I hear you saying is, you know, the, the liability shift is one thing, but we don't want to do that in, in, without providing the education to the merchant and kind of that clear path forward to say, look, as we understand it, this is the way you should implement this program. But yeah, there's going to be other variables and we're not taking all of the variables into account, but we right. believe this is a compliant approach and we believe this is what you should do. Is that fair? Yeah. And it, look, it, you know, Patty, I hear you when you're saying don't give them too much, but, you know, give them a one pager that goes, look, here's generally, you know, when you're playing football, you know, you've got this many players on your team, you're supposed to, you know, score it in the other end over there. And as long as, you know, you know, kick somebody, you no know, kicking people in the head, that kind of thing, you know, because, yeah, look, am I going to disclose? Am I going to hand them the card rules and be like, you're responsible for this? No, yeah. you give them a link. But if you give somebody a, hey, this is how you do it. It's right. real simple, bullet points, and they right. can look at it and go, okay, I'm good. I think I get it. Yep. Love it. Well, I think we could have this conversation for at least another hour. But since we don't have time for that today, we'll have to continue this at another time. So, James, I know a lot of people that are listening to this are saying, you know, these are the issues they're thinking about right now. They're trying to figure out how to get a compliant program in place, how to, you know, what does this rider look like, all of that. So for those that need legal advice and help in these areas and other areas related to the payments industry, how can they reach out and learn more about you and Global Legal Law Firm? Absolutely. Yeah, we we love working with agents. We understand that they're they're the ones pushing this industry forward. And, you know, that's, that's how our law firm was founded. So um, they can check out our website is globallegallawfirm.com. You can email me, J-H-U-B-E-R at attorneygl.com. And, you know, we're on the internet. Awesome. Love it. James, thank you so much. Always such a pleasure speaking with you and really appreciate you taking time to share yeah, your insights lot, today. James. All right. Thanks, James and Patty. All right, we're out. Okay. Great. Good stuff, Good stuff. That was fantastic. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you. All right, man. Have a great day. All right. We'll talk soon. I'll leave you guys to it. All right. Okay. Thanks, Thanks, James. See ya. So, Patty, thought I would try something a little different today when we talk about Valor Paytech. Uh, let's share news. our screen. So yeah, I love on. your screen share here, James. Uh, yeah. I actually what? saw this mobile dog, though. I think it's a really cool Isn't thing. Isn't that pretty cool? You know, yeah. I think I think what's interesting about this, it, you know, some people would almost look at it as a step backwards in technology from like, well, you use your smartphone. But, but you know, the truth of the yeah. matter is anybody that's ever actually used one of these dongles, you know, this is nicer. And I'll tell you oh, why. Far because nicer. people need to use their phone. And right. so... I think the what what merchants loved about the dongle is this idea that yeah I can take my phone anywhere with me and it's small it fits mm-hmm. in my pocket and I can plug this thing in mm-hmm. but I think what people hate about it is that it's their phone and they need their phone and secondly 
the the dongles, frankly, are kind of hard to deal with. You yeah, know, yeah, plugging them in and they they're kind of error prone and they tend to mess up over time. I even had one one time that kind of messed up the headphone jack on my phone and stuff. Um, I had I saw a woman one time in a in a in a bakery with one of those dongles and I asked her how often do you have to replace it? She said like every two weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All the flour getting in there and yes. gunking up the system. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's just not what something you want on your phone. This no. device, and for those of you that are listening to the podcast. Um, it actually looks exactly like a calculator is what it yeah, looks it like. Does. Uh-huh. And, and, it, and it's uh, a similar size, actually, a little bit bigger because it's got the top part, the, the, mm-hmm. the kind of slide, the swiper there. Right. Um, but this is a device that supports, um, you know, payments. It's lightweight, um, Bluetooth communication, uh, PCI certified. It's really a cool little device. Um, and this is that when we say omni-channel, this is what we're talking about. You know, yeah. you give that merchant their VL110 or whatever their terminal, but mm-hmm. then they're also going to need something they can use that's really mobile, that's mobile friendly. They can take to a, a little trade show or just have right. with them or to take a payment at a cage or whatever. Or- yeah, uh, food delivery, whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Give this to your drivers. Um, and mm-hmm. so this is a device they, they call it their Rocket R C K T. So the mobile right. dongle is called the the Rocket. So check out Valor Paytech the Rocket. I think it's a really cool thing. Uh, head over to ccsalespro.com slash Valor V A L O R and check out their suite of products. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah. This is questions from the field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, today on questions from the field, I want to talk about selling through the summer. And um, I uh, actually, good one. yeah, I actually have a uh, episode of the uh, Merchant Sales Insight that's coming out here in a few weeks. And I just wanted to talk about it real briefly here. But you know, as we're coming into the summer, everybody's making their summer plans. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it would be nice to take a minute to talk about kind of how I handle my summer and how I've always handled it as a merchant services professional because I think it's very unique. So, so number one. Our industry, as a general rule for ISO owners and agents, provides an unusually large amount of flexibility um, Mm -hmm. and this recurring income, you know, so you can take time off, you still get paid. It's great. And I think it's very easy to take that a little too far. And next thing you know, you're just kind of taking the summer off. And Mm -hmm. if that's your definition of success, good for you. Um, I mean, no, no, uh, wouldn't begrudge that to anybody. Nope. I celebrate that and I celebrate the flexibility. Um, I, you know, Patty, for me personally, uh, every year I take uh, my entire family, my right. wife's entire family, two different weeks, mm-hmm. rent two different beach houses somewhere in the country. And we fly everybody and we go to a big beach house somewhere. Right, right. It's kind of fun. Right. And I totally cool have family. fun. Yep. Right. And then I'll usually even take another week and do something with just my, you know, my wife and my kids. And we'll, mm-hmm. you know, so I take usually two to three weeks in the summer, totally unplug, have a blast. And, and I think everybody, you know, if you've got the income and, and the position in life to be able to do that, I think you should do that. That's fantastic. Right. However, I like to think of the summer as a time of extreme focus. And what I mean by that is, yes, I have times where I am extremely focused on my family, mm-hmm. right? Um, but then I usually also have time when I'm extremely focused on my work. Right. In fact, during the summer, I know you've heard me talk about this before. Um, I have a concept. I've never heard anybody else call it this before. So maybe it's my term. I don't know. I'll say it's my term. Um, but I do a reverse vacation. So a vacation is where all you do is spend time with your family and you don't work. A reverse mm-hmm. vacation is where all you do is work and you don't spend very much time with your family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I celebrate that just as much as I celebrate my other vacations <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because my family is important and my work is important. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I have a lot of things I want to accomplish. And, and the truth is I wouldn't be able to do the things I'm able to do with my family if I didn't have the focus I have on my, on my business. Right. Right. And so what, here's what I want to challenge, you know, those of you that are listening, thinking about your summer, think about it in terms of extremes and maybe explore that thought process with your spouse or significant other. And, uh, you know, what would that look like? Right. What would it look like to just be extremely unplugged? And, and again, I'm, I don't want to discourage that. I want to encourage that. And so, you know, think about that, you know, pay the price to do that. You know, one of the reasons why I have always had team members, um, even when it was like, oh my, I'm only making, you know, $100,000 a year 
And here I'm going to go ahead and hire somebody and pay them $25,000, $30,000 a year. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, my goodness, that seems crazy. I'm like, it's 30% of my revenue, right? right? Um, well, mm-hmm. why would I do that? Well, the reason I would do that is because I would rather enjoy my 70000 a year than not enjoy my 100000 a year. Yeah, yeah, I get you. <laughs> so having yeah. a good person that's, you know, maybe a part-timer or whatever, but having somebody in there who, when I go on vacation, they are able to make sure that everything mm-hmm. is going okay. And they're mm-hmm. at, at the very least, they're going to be a filter, you know? So right. they're going to deal with the minor issues. They're going to be able to make a judgment call of, can I delay this till James gets back? Mm-hmm. And, and, and Or can they, I take care of it? Yeah, yeah. Maybe they can take care of it. And again, if they can't, maybe they know how to reach out to the processor and say, hey, can you help me with this? James is on vacation, mm-hmm. um, right? So having that person, and then of course, developing them over time to where they become a true partner and that they can, they can help you grow the business. Um, that's one of the main reasons I've always done that now. Uh, you know, uh, let me put a little caveat on that. Okay. And we were just talking about this right before the podcast. Mm -hmm. When you hire people, you have to train them and delegate to them. And this is something that is extremely time consuming. Um, and you know, that's a commitment that you have to make and, and and don't think it's going to take a day. It's going to take months to get people Mm -hmm. to, to a position where they're ready to really take responsibility for things. But you know, that's crucial to your business. There's, there's no way around it. That's the only way to do it. But don't you think that that's that's a big reason why a lot of people don't do it is because of the time and and expense of training somebody. Well, well, I'll tell you what it is. In my experience, Patty, in our industry, at least, Mm -hmm. the reason they don't do it is the expense. Mm -hmm. Then when they finally do spring for the expense, they immediately regret it because of the time investment and their their expectations were misaligned with reality. Right. They're like, I thought I was paying all this money to solve my problems. And it's like, well, yes, you are but you have to pay all the money and invest all the time for two or three months, then it solves your problems. Right. Um, right. And so that's an important caveat, but you know, focus on that. But then again, put time into selling. And let me give you three very quick bullet points of why I think you should remain engaged during the summer, this mm-hmm. particular summer. Okay. Are you ready? Here they come. And again, we got a whole merchant sales inside on this coming up. Number one on my list right now is dual pricing, cash discounting, surcharging, this whole saga. Mm-hmm. Um, it is changing rapidly. There's information I have right now that I wanted to share today, but I decided not to because I need to, to vet it out a little bit more. But like things are changing. I promise you over the next 60 days, things are going to be changing even more. Mm-hmm. And this is a unique opportunity for you to go out and pitch an alternative to people that have maybe a, a non-cash adjustment program and you're going to offer an alternative, you know, a dual price or something right. to gain market share this summer. By the time you get back from your summer off, probably most of your competitors will already have made adjustments to comply with the new reality mm-hmm. and you just lost your opportunity there. Plus they might be coming after your accounts yeah, as you yeah, take your sure. summer off, you know? Right. Um, and so I think dual pricing, cash discounting, that whole thing. I think integrated payments. Yes. Um, how much longer do you have with these merchants? You know, I, I, I was just at a merchant location. I posted on LinkedIn about I it. Saw uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. They've got, they've got toast in there and then they've got a standalone and terminal. <laughs> and they've got yeah. a standalone terminal there. I mean, right. whoever like, sold them that standalone terminal, I'm sorry, but that they're an idiot. Like, hello. I mean, yeah. that merchant is one phone call away from leaving you and they're, and that merchant's on, ca- on cash discount, huge pizza. I mean, I guarantee you whoever sold that deal, they are making at least a couple thousand a month in residual on that account. Just on that account. Just on that wow. one account. And they're with, they, I guarantee you they're one phone call away. Toast just has to pick the phone up and say, Hey, did you know that we have the same feature? It just works a little bit differently and they're done. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. do they need to do this summer? They need to go to that merchant and they need to say, hey, let me show you our point of sale options where the payments are integrated and we offer this dual pricing. And, and you know, so, um, you know, that's an opportunity. Integrated payments. So again, dual pricing, cash discounting, surcharging, that whole saga is going to change over the next 90 days. Mm-hmm. Integrated payments has taken off like a rocket ship. I mean, not a week goes by that I don't have a software company reaching out to me for consulting because they want to do their own payment processing and, and all of this. I mean, this is yeah. happening. You know, this is happening yeah. in real yeah. time. And you got to grab your piece of the pie before it's too late. Um, and then finally, number three, B2B payments. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, it was almost like, what's that? You know, Mm -hmm. a year Mm -hmm. ago, it was like, oh, that's an interesting opportunity. One of these days I should take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, wow, most of the big companies are already getting into it. Mm -hmm. And it's still at this point where maybe for the next three months, it's not going to be crazy competitive. And then that's it. It's yeah, maybe, maybe six months, maybe six months. You know, what was really interesting, James, is I was at the NEAA show uh-huh. And Roger, our friend Roger McNamara was there. Yeah. Um, now, now from Visa. Now, and I, you know, right. I think that's really interesting. Roger oh, yeah. was out there. Yeah. You know, rah rah B two B, and Visa <clears throat> tapped him because he's such an expert 
yes. on B2B. <laughs> I just, I just talked to Roger. I got a meeting with him in a, uh, about a week. And so I've, I've stayed in mm-hmm. touch and yeah. Um, you know, this is, this is happening. And again, the, what's the difference in my mind is the people in our industry that are the movers and shakers that know how to sell stuff and know how to get distribution. Mm-hmm. They now have their attention on B2B. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, that means they're going to be reaching these merchants. Yeah. Um, and so this is your opportunity Align with a partner that knows what they're doing as far as B2B, make sure you have the right technology solution, and then you've got to go after it. Um, and so those are three things I would consider, maybe not all three, but I would consider one some of those, of, you know, at least one and, mm-hmm. and think about how could you put that into your summer and have your focus there. And then of course, also having your focus on the other things that matter in your life. So there you go. There's my tips on selling through the summer. Thanks a lot, James. That was great. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. You know, James, um, I'm old enough to remember a comic strip uh, called Dick Tracy. Oh, okay. Sure. Okay, now, Dick Tracy, my mother used to love reading this. I was never a big, funniest person, but, you know, I'd watch her. Yeah. And I was kind of intrigued by Dick Tracy because he was a private eye. And and what I remember most was that he had this wristwatch that was like a two-way radio where he communicated mm-hmm. with headquarters or whatever. Yes. It was pretty futuristic for the 1950s and 60s. It's, gotta, it's now it's now what my 10-year-old and 11-year-old have on their wrist. And that's, yeah. you know, exactly. It <laughs> cracks me up when I see, yeah, right? <laughs> like, you know, I remember when you bought your kids those for Christmas. Yes, um, yes. You know, so, it, you know, clearly, it, you know, watching Dick, you know, those cartoons sort of laid that framework for me that, you know, the framework of believability, sir, you know, yes. eye watches and yes. seeing them in action. You know, uh, I remember the first time I saw somebody take their watch and hit it onto a onto a contactless, you know, onto one of those contactless yes. terminals to do a payment. Yep. I was like, wow, Dick, Dick Tracy should be here to see that, you know, yep. especially among, you know, tech savvy millennials like yourself, James, you know. Yep. Oh, I, I'm using my uh, I use my Apple Watch to make a payment yesterday. So it yeah. uh, doesn't surprise me. Yep. It wouldn't surprise me in the least. So, <laughs> you know, of course, then that begs the question, what's next? And uh, MasterCard, I just learned this week, is betting on biometric payments, specifically face and hand scans. Um, you know, scanning your face and you're and waving your hand, you know, they take a picture of your face or you wave your hand in front of a, a terminal, kind of like not a whole lot on like, I don't know if you fly a lot, but they have the clear thing where oh, you I can, have, I have clear. Yeah. I, you know, I use clear. I love it. It gets me to the head of the line every time. You know? Yeah. yeah I've got, I've got that clear and the uh, TSA pre-check. You have the TSA so, pre-check. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget the first time I was at that Orlando airport, which is always so crowded. You oh know? gosh. Yes. And, uh, and I always ended up having to wait in line and I, I finally had clear and TSA. And so I went down there and I said, Hey, where do I go? I have both. And they said, Oh, we have a special line. I know. We have both. <laughs> I, and I was like, Oh, this that, is, this is, isn't this that is great. It. Especially in Orlando when you see those lines <laughs> just coming out. I was out, on the plane you know? in like seven minutes. So I was like, what? Same, I, I had a very cost me like hundred bucks or something. It was like, this is fantastic. Like the best money I ever spent. Right. Exactly. <laughs> anyway. So God, that was, so a, that anyway, was a to get back to what I was MasterCard. They announced uh, this week a first of its kind technology framework uh, for merchants, banks, and technology pr- providers to support consumer payments using face and hand scans in lieu in lieu of cards or mobile devices. Hmm. Um, you know, mobile devices loaded with payment apps. Obviously, right? Um, they're calling it biometric checkout, and it provides a set of standards that support data security and consumer privacy. Oh. Um, it um. And my computer is 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 just uh, glommed up here, so I, I'm looking at my notes. Here we go. All right, yeah. I had a moment there. Um, so anyway, they say it's the next quote next step to support the evolution of payments. Sure. You know, last year I'm sure um, you'll recall Mastercard released a mobile app that allows merchants to use their smartphones as contactless payment devices. Right. Right. This sort of goes in that direction. Um, MasterCard reports that roughly half of the MasterCard in-person switch transactions were contactless in the final quarter of 2021. By 2026, so half of all in-person switch transactions globally, this is, of course. You got to remember this. I know. 
Wow. But according to them, you know, it's really going great guns in, in like third world. Um Asia, India, hmm. um, South America. I can't imagine the US is even 25%. No, I can't even imagine we're anywhere near that. But yeah. You know, they did find, however, that about 75% of consumers globally do have p- positive attitudes toward biometric technologies. Right. And and that's not really a surprise. Like you and I were just talking about things like Clear and, you know, the concert right. venues are doing things like that. Right. Uh, and also not surprising, these positive attitudes are far more widely held in emerging con- economies, about 90% there. Um, so MasterCard has um, decided that it's going to, in fact, this week started a pilot. Uh, it has, a, has about a half dozen technology partners um, in this endeavor. One of them is a company called Payface. Um, as you might expect, <laughs> they do facial recognition. <laughs> you know, uh, It's a Brazilian turn, um, firm and they're going to be using biometric checkout um, with a large Brazilian supermarket chain. So as a consumer, you go into the, you know, you use your, get a, download an app, a Payfa, uh, Payface app. Uh, you enroll your face and your card information. And then at checkout, they just smile. Camera takes a picture, says it's good to go. Um, wow. I think this is just, I think it's really cool. But I also, like you, I don't think we're going to see it here in the U.S. anytime soon. But then again, I was thinking about this because in addition to Brazil, MasterCard said it plans to pilot this in um, the Middle East and Asia. Yeah. And they didn't mention anything about the U.S. But then I got to thinking, James, you know, about three years ago, I had a press release come through here. I probably reported it here on the podcast about MasterCard testing out this technology that allowed people to use their smartphones as a contactless payment acceptance device. Yeah. And now... I know NMI, for example, is is offering something like that. And yep. I'm sure they're not the only ones out there, but yeah. it's being offered here in the U.S. So it's just going to yeah. be interesting. I, You know, yeah, in the old days, I used to say, oh, yeah, maybe 10 or 20 years it'll come here. But with the speed of change and yeah, it's like markets, 10 to 20 months, you know, exactly. Um, you know yeah. what I, you know what make, that makes me think of, Patty, is is actually um, chargeback situation. I, you know, yes. I, yes. I think there are situations, you know, let me give an example. I could totally see a company like MasterCard making facial facial recognition an option to get level four, you know, almost like you know level right? two, level three, like right. you know, almost like a whole other whole thing, new level, yeah, right uh, of or even a reduced level two or you know level two with facial recognition or something. Mm-hmm. And I could see, I could definitely see things like that where it's like, look. We got the we got know, your we, face. We have the face <laughs> of the person. Like this is biometric, you know. Right? So I think there are. I, I, I wouldn't see this as being um, mass market for a long time. No. But no. I definitely but see I surgical do, strikes. I agree. Know? I agree. But, you know, uh, you tell that story. I have to tell you a quick little anecdote. Yeah. There's a series, I think it's on Netflix or Amazon, one or the other, called Hacks. Okay. It's about this, this comedian. Um, okay. okay. And she has this writer who's a young something, you know, young 20-something. And, okay. And um, she... <laughs> She needs to get into her boss's phone. Okay. Okay. But the boss is out cold. She's just had surgery or, you know, plastic surgery or something. So she right. can't do it. So this woman is like the, the boss is a, is a very famous uh, um, comedian. The, you know, the premise is that she's a famous right. um, Las Vegas comedian. Okay. So the, the assistant runs to the, uh, to one of the hotels right? Where yeah. they have these, um, you know, bigger than life replicas of, of yeah, stars, wax figures, wax something. figures of some sort <laughs> she, to get into the phone. She holds it up to the woman's wax figure. <laughs> oh my. Yeah, I guess that's true. Celebrities probably won't be signing up. for Right. This <laughs> that's, that, that's what you were. So when you were talking that's about funny. that, that's all I could think of is anybody with, you know, uh, a wax figure you better not um sign up for one of these things i mean you know but it's interesting you say it i mean it's a, a joke which it is but i mean it also is interesting i mean it, it i'm sure that there's a lot of thought that went into that because that's a pretty yeah. serious uh fraud issue is are people able to 
in any way take a, a picture and in some way recreate some kind of mm-hmm. 3D image mm-hmm. that can be utilized or so I'm sure that I'm sure there is it. I'm sure there is something, but it's but it's not unlike the fingerprint, you know, how people right. will, you know, yep. I, I, I've heard stories of, you know, wives taking their hu- husband's fingerprint to open their phone to check for, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So right? you never know. That's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, well, this tough, will be an but... interesting trend. I, w- I think that's a, uh, I definitely see some really interesting uses of that. And mm-hmm. I think it'll be uh, be interesting to see how that plays out with all the fintechs yeah. and especially. So, yeah. good stuff, Patty. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.